time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and to those who, whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the Lord stood up to the test. Jesus, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbours as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out to Denry and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I returned... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. At the home of Martha and Mary, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her.
You know, churches love busy people. The busier, the more they get done, the more they get involved, the better. So many meetings to go to. So many people to see and talk to. So many rotors to be filled. So many opportunities to use up any spare time that you might have in the busyness of divine service. Yes, as far as churches are concerned, the busier you are, the better. Where would Brighton Road be without all you busy people who resource all the work and the activities with which we are engaged? I am profoundly grateful for all the busy people in this church, not least the deacons who we've dedicated this morning. There is not the least doubt in my mind that churches thrive on busy people. What about God? Does God love busy people? Well, of course he does, because God loves everybody. But does he love busy people in particular? Do they have an extra special place in God's affections because of all that busyness? Well, no, I'm afraid you don't, all you busy people. God doesn't value you any more or treasure you as being extra special because you keep really, really busy for him. And I'm sorry if that's a real disappointment to all of you who've made time in your schedules to come to church this morning or to, to listen to this sermon, squeezing it in into your packed schedule this week. God doesn't especially prize us on account of our business on his behalf. At our uh, missionary prayer breakfast this morning, we were thinking how action without conviction doesn't really carry a great deal. And as the lawyer, talking to Jesus, rightly understood, there are only two things, actually, that really matter. The first and the most important is loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And the second is loving your neighbour as yourself. Now, of course, loving people is going to take a lot of time. Most certainly it does. But I'm not sure that it's possible to love someone efficiently. If you're kind of keeping track of the time that you're, you're, you're doing stuff for somebody, is that motivated by love? You might have a discussion over that over coffee afterwards, if you've got the time. But if you're keeping a mental record of just how busy you are on someone else's behalf, I would question whether love is the primary motivation for what you're doing. Because love can't be measured in terms of business. If you love someone, then wasting time with them is time well spent. Think about the creation story. God being busy for six days, creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. But the creation story reaches its culmination on the seventh day when he downs tools, relaxes and enjoys spending time in the world which he has made and which he loves so much. Love takes time out from being busy. Those of us who are parents, we love our children, of course we do, and they keep you busy all the time. But they will know how much you love them, not from all the things you do for them, but from the time you spend with them. It's not the level of activity or the amount of nervous energy 
you expend in looking after them. Children flourish when parents spend time loving them. Children flourish when they play, when they have time to play, and God enjoys their company when they do. Jesus points out that God doesn't make himself known to the wise and learned. Those who read their books and write their books and earn their degrees, all the time that I spend studying doesn't make me any closer to God than any of you or any of the children who've gone out to their classes. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to make himself known to little children who are too small to be busy and who as such have the emotional space for that natural awareness of God which is in them to grow and to develop. And there's a danger that those of us who are busy can be too busy to enjoy God's company. Prayer becomes a duty to be sandwiched in to our schedules rather than just actually spending the time to worship the God who made us and loves us. We can be too busy to allow his love for us to awaken an answering response of love in our hearts. And there are dangers even for those who are dedicated to God's work. After all, the priest and the Levite in Jesus' parable who ignored the injured man by the side of the road were both people whose lives were consecrated to the service of God. Their identity as priest and Levite meant that they were dedicated to doing God's will. And in the parable, they were perhaps too busy loving God to love their neighbour. The requirement that they should maintain their holy status and not compromise their ritual purity meant that there were very good religious reasons why they shouldn't be diverted from their business to attend to an injured stranger by the side of the road. If he died on them, they would be contaminated by corpse impurity. And that meant whatever duties they were on their way to perform in the temple, they they couldn't perform. They They would not be allowed within the temple precincts. And then they wouldn't take their place on the road. And the people who were relying on them would be put out. And and what would God make of all that? Very good, perhaps in inverted commas, religious reasons actually for what they were about was more important than the need of the injured man whom they passed and ignored. They were quite rigorous and dedicated in the performance of their religious duties, too busy in God's service to have the time to spare for the wounded man. But the Samaritan, on the other hand, he wasn't constrained by such considerations. Going to the temple was the last place on earth he would want to go. He wasn't bothered by the need to keep himself ritually clean. He had no religious duties to perform, nor apparently was he under any kind of time pressure at all. How much extra time do you suppose it took him to pause, to investigate the man's injuries, to pour oil and wine on his wounds, bandage them up, put the man on his own donkey and then proceed at a walking pace rather than riding, however many miles it was to the nearest inn? And was he always intending to break his journey and stay there overnight? only 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho on a donkey you could do that easily in a day but no he broke his journey overnight paused, looked after the man, continued where he was going the following day in addition to paying the bill for the uh, hospitality of the injured stranger into the bargain I reckon in addition to the two silver coins 
That act of kindness cost him at least half a day of his time. Busy people don't have half a day to spare just to stop what they're doing and give that kind of time and attention to a stranger that they run across. Their schedules are too crowded, too many other things demanding time and attention. But the Samaritan had the time to spare, to love his neighbour as he loved himself because he wasn't over busy. And then we have Martha and Mary, of course. Martha is the epitome of, of busyness. Everything just has to be right for Jesus. There is too much to do. There she is juggling pots and pans and schedules in the kitchen while her lazy sister can't even be bothered to stir herself from Jesus' feet to set the table. No wonder her frustration boils over in rebuke. And she takes her frustration with her sister out on Jesus, the very person with whom she's doing all this cooking in the first place. Teacher, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to come and give me a hand. She's blown it, really. Instead of having a quiet word with Mary, she's kind of seethed and seethed and he's got too much and she's exploded at, at Jesus, the guest, the one she's doing it all for in the first place. Jesus doesn't need any divine insight to perceive that she's worried and upset about many things. It is in his face. It is blindingly obvious. And in Martha's eyes, Mary's just wasting time sitting at Jesus' feet. But time spent there, listening to Jesus, is valuable and important to Mary and to Jesus as well. And the time they spent in companionable conversation was too precious to interrupt. Martha would have been welcome to join them. It was no cosy huddle from which she was excluded. But she was too busy. Mary, curled up at Jesus' feet, expresses perhaps what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And the, the Samaritan expresses what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. But the priest and the Levite were too wrapped up in their religious duties to allow themselves to be distracted by the opportunity to show love to an injured stranger. Martha gets stressed by taking too much upon herself so that she ends up shouting at the very person for whom she's trying to prepare such a lovely meal. Love is her motivation, but it ends up being compromised by her busyness. And those of us who enjoy studying and reading and learning books, um, those things sometimes can get in the way of God, of just knowing God personally, knowing more about God than knowing who God is in our hearts. Earlier in this service, we all had the opportunity to stand as an expression of our dedication to Christ and this church. And if you stood here as a deacon this morning, I have no doubt that the work of serving in that capacity will keep you extremely busy. And many of you give freely of your time and energy and work extremely hard for God, both in the church and in the town and in the surrounding area. And I'm not saying that being busy is wrong. Because without Martha's hard work, everyone would have gone hungry that evening. The Duke temple needed priests and Levites to turn up on time, ready for duty. And I have no desire to encourage an ethos of laziness or unreliability in those of us who belong to Brighton Road Baptist Church. We are called to redeem the time because the days are evil. And that entails making the most of every single day at our disposal. Let's live our lives well for God. 
But let's not forget that the core motivation for all of this needs to be love of God and love of our neighbour. And if that's not our motivation, we can end up running on empty and like Martha, we can begin to resent the very people we're supposed to be serving and get uptight about the things that we should be doing. Or like the priest and the Levite, end up putting programmes before people. Over the past few months, one of the major sources of frustration in our home has been this bit of electrical equipment. It's a broadband range extender. It's supposed to pick up the wireless signal from the broadband router and relay it into every corner of the house. And it does not it doesn't. It transmits the signal, all right. You get five bands on whatever piece of equipment is picking up the signal from this, but you can't connect to the internet through it. The signal is there, but it's not communicating anything. In effect, it jams the signal rather than passing it on. Church can be like that. This is the place where we come week by week to connect with the love and the grace and the presence of God. Our role as church is to communicate the love and the grace and the presence of God as widely as possible to the surrounding world. But that's only going to happen if, as a body of people, we keep focused on those twin priorities of loving God with all our heart, soul, strength and mind and loving other people as ourselves. If we stop being about those two things then despite all our busyness and the signs of health and activity, we won't communicate the love and the grace and the presence of God. We will just end up jamming and blocking it instead. Everything will carry on. There's still a frenetic amount of activity and busyness. But the health of a church doesn't depend upon the amount that we do. A full diary in the bulletin doesn't mean to say that we are a successful church. What counts is the extent to which we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. So let me urge you to pause, take a step back, refocus. It's not what you do that matters. It's the way that you do it. And all we need is love. Here at Brighton Road, everything we do has to be about loving God and loving our neighbour. And that can and will and should keep us busy. But let's not lose sight of what it's all about. Those core principles of loving God and each other. It's not what we do, it's the way that we do it. Let the love of God fill your heart and soul and mind. And allow that to enable you and equip you to love him and your neighbour with all your strength this coming year. Nothing is more important than that.